Hello, my name is Patricia Rozvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore the relation, interest and the urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here, I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode, the community is growing, which was, of course, the whole point of this platform. If you are a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Welcome back, everyone. And this time it took a little longer to publish this episode. Usually I publish every three to four weeks. Uh, this time I think it's five weeks. And that is because, uh, first of all, of COVID, since it's still messing uh, up with our lives a little bit, unfortunately. And second of all, um, I'm also uh, currently working on a little side project that is uh, connected to the podcast. And it is uh, the first Kitchen Conversations publication that I'm very excited about. Soon uh, you will find out everything about it. For now, it's still in the making. So I don't want to reveal too much. Uh, what I can say uh, that it's a artistic cookbook. So more on that very soon. And now we can move uh, towards introducing uh, my guest today, a guest that I wanted to invite for very long already. Somehow uh, our schedules uh, didn't match. Uh, and finally today she's here with us, uh, Mayan Gom a Polish Senegalese artist uh, whose multidisciplinary work includes photography, installation, video, text and sculpture. Maya uh, graduated from photography at Royal College of Art in London. And before that, she studied modern languages at Adam Mickiewicz University in Poznań. Maya's body of work explores issues of identity in the context of belonging and displacement. She draws on feminist literature and phenomenological thought. Her unique experience of coming from an intergenerational and multi-ethnic family contributes to her work with fragmented narratives, often taking form of autobiographical fiction with fluid identities and fantastic events. Without further ado, please welcome my today's guest, Maya Ngom. So good morning, Maya. Welcome to Kitchen Conversations. Good morning. Hey. <laughs> So nice uh, to have you here. I just checked uh, before I went on the call with you that the first time we got in touch was like in uh, July uh, 2021. So it's been yeah. some months. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, there was... Uh, life happening so uh, we didn't really uh, manage to to meet before but uh, yeah amazing that uh, <laughs> we finally found each other in the same space <laughs> virtual yeah, though virtual. so let's hope 
everything works out. Uh, how are you feeling this morning? For you, it's still 11, so I guess it's still morning. It's still morning. No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm fine. Everything is fine. I, I'm supposed to go to studio after the talk, so feeling good, uh, yeah. feeling inspired, you know. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I was actually last week in London and it was so sunny there. I was so surprised. I thought like England, it's always like very sad and rainy, but it was amazing. No, it happened. I mean, it's, I would say 80% of time it is gloomy, but when it's a nice weather and the sun is out, it changes everything. Yeah. I, I guess that's also inspiring, no? <laughs> yeah, it more. is. <laughs> Makes you want to leave home finally. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Today we will be speaking uh, about uh, you and your practice, of course. I'm mm -hmm. very curious also to, to hear more about it since I mostly know about it through an article I read, an interview which, uh, mm -hmm. which you had published in the Kaya Journal mm -hmm. online. Uh, that was a conversation you had with Romulan Demindenko. Romulan Demindenko. There was like a curator, correctly, yes. that, uh, that you spoke to about your work. And um, yeah, it was very intriguing. I really uh, thought like I have to write mm -hmm. you and uh, hear more about um, yeah what you're creating and uh, who you are, Maya. <laughs> <laughs> For the beginning, it would be nice to just hear a little bit about... Um, kind of mm -hmm. where you come from and where your art comes from and how you ended up where you are today. Thank you for inviting me to the um, <laughs> to the podcast. I mean, um, yeah, I was thinking because, you know, whenever someone is asking you questions, that kind of triggers the whole kind of process of thinking. And like, I think in general, people always are interested in when artists started their practice. And I think it's kind of interesting because the first memory that I had or kind of could kind of go back was photography because that's what I was doing um, during my college years I suppose I was focusing on that I was really interested in black and white photography I have a little dark room at home but actually when I think about art in general I really loved theater and when I was in primary school I was a part of our like um, a school theater and we were going across Poland and uh, participating in different I don't know if you, you don't call them championships just like show-offs and um, yeah it was really competitions, or? competitions yeah um, for like primary schools and stuff but I, I find like that was I think my first maybe connection with art in the sense of going into a different world and experiencing it and also we were able to write things so it wasn't only playing um, some proper like theater plays but actually writing plays that were about our school or like personal experiences and putting it on stage and it's kind of interesting because now thinking about my work and the maybe even future projects that I would like to do I think I'm thinking more about performance and this idea oh, of yes. staging things so yeah maybe just going like in circles and finding uh, <laughs> things that were kind of, you know, out there before or some things that I was interested in before. So I guess, yeah, I think theatre and I was also like very much into literature and writing in general because I think like going back maybe now in the past, I think there's kind of a big sense maybe of solitude or kind of like 
being by myself, you know, being an only child, living with grandparents, you kind of are by yourself and they just kind of put you in a place and you're just there. So I think writing was that part that allowed me to kind of maybe write my thoughts. So often I feel like I'm not very good in talking, but writing, this is my like safe <laughs> space and this is what I like, you know, I'm not always able to communicate things maybe verbally but writing gives me that space yeah but then um, when I was in Poland I was doing I was studying modern languages and after that I started actually culture studies which I haven't finished as a um, as a master's um, studies master studies in Poland uh, because while I was studying cultural studies uh, there was this tutor who was really amazing and she was talking about photography and she wrote books her name was Marianna Michałowska uh, she mm -hmm. was talking a lot about phenomenology and philosophy and how that could be applied in terms of thinking about photography, but like analog photography. And I was really amazed by that. And then I started to be like more and more interested in photography, but also in terms of critical thinking and also not photography as a only ordinary documentary type of a, a tool, but also something that, you know, there's a deeper meaning in that. And that's where I had this idea. I was like, no, I think I, I want to be an artist. And I started, I mean, I was taking pictures before, but I think then I started to become more conscious. I was also traveling a lot. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go to London and study there. Yeah, I mean, that was quite idealistic kind of idea. I'm going to go to London and study photography. But obviously, life is a bit harder than that in terms of like paying for that and um, applying to different courses. But that's when my journey has started. So that was in 2009. When I applied to Oh, wow. Yeah, when All I All right, so you've been living there for some time now. Oh, yeah, it's been... I mean, I came 2008 because I came a year earlier in order to make money. So, yeah, it's been now 14 years. Crazy. Yeah. You're a proper <laughs> Londoner. Lond yeah, don't feel like, yeah. but I guess <laughs> more, more <laughs> Londoner now than... Uh, Poznaniak, probably. Which oh, yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you, which part of Poland are you? Poznań. I'm from Poznań, yeah. All so. right. Yeah, that's quite close to where I am now. Because I, I live in Berlin, so it's quite, yeah, you know... Yeah, two hours away, actually. city, exactly, exactly. And, and you were uh, growing up with your grandparents, uh, I read somewhere, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I was... I mean, my mom, she, she kind of left when I was little. She was between Italy and Poland, but I was like, most of my time I spent with my grandparents, and that's when I was growing up as well. Um, they are also coming back uh, in your work. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. They, uh, that was like my final graduating kind of project from RCA, the Royal College of Art, in which I worked with them. And the work was about them as well, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think gr uh, grandparents and uh, I think even more often grandmothers come somehow often uh, up in like final art projects. Also in my project, I think my grandma came up. So yeah, it's, as well, yeah. it's <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, great. Um, yeah, kind of continuing uh, straight away to, to your work, I think. Mm -hmm. um, the, the work which uh, I think got the most exposure perhaps, or like at least I found the most information about it, was The Sweet Taste of Otherness. And from what I understand, it's like an installation which encompasses a lot of different parts, also text and sculptures and also, I think, uh, photography. Yeah. Uh, Negative, yeah, yeah I, I would like you probably just to give a little bit introduction uh, on the project and then we can kind of delve into more specific parts of it. 
So, I mean, the sweet taste of otherness, it's actually, I would say it's the whole body of work. So it all started when I was invited by Krzysztof Gutfreinski to participate in the issue, um, which is like Objekt magazine, which is uh, done by Kujazdowski Castle Center for Contemporary Art, czyli Zamek Kujazdowski. Um, Great so, place. <laughs> yeah. So they have a website and they also have this uh, quarterly. Um, well, I mean, now it has been moved completely to website, but... Um, So he invited me to make work for the issue that was called This Othering. It was talking about African diaspora in Poland and also I think it was bringing different museums in Europe, in Belgium and Germany, like Savvy Contemporary, in order to think about this idea of like how can we decolonize museum, but also what would this othering mean? So not to other uh, as like other different people and uh, different communities, but this othering, so kind of philosophically kind of justified project that they did. But anyway, I was invited to do that. And I decided to write a text because I think the time, I didn't have much time. So I was like, the only thing that I could do within this kind of time span would be writing. And actually, maybe that could be the beginning of something that is going to continue later on. In the writing, I'm kind of trying to bring two things, which is on one part, my experience of growing up in Poland and then on the other part my experience of like meeting with my dad in Senegal and then spending time and talking to him and also talking about his experience in Poland. There was a part of the uh, text which was kind of focusing on this idea of thinking about all the food in Polish that have a lot of um, connotation with race which is very strange because you would think that Poland is not a colonial country. Um, not connected to colonialism, but obviously it is a part of like Western Europe and it is a part of also of like white culture. So maybe the way it perceives uh, blackness is also in this idea of like exotic and, um, you know, maybe having something to do with a power structure again. So, yeah, so that was another kind of part of the project when I started to think about taste and food and I did a performative reading in London and then I was invited invited to the uh, Biennale in Zielona Góra by two curators which was uh, Romuald Demidenko and uh, Tomek Pawłowski Armowajew and they were also very interesting like what what is the thing that you would like to work on you know right now and then again continuing with language and thinking about language and how in Poland in a bizarre way it's also connected with blackness I was thinking about all the slurs that um, racial slurs that would be used whenever I was young and I remember them until today because that, that was also something that came up in my conversations with my father that he was asking me oh are people like still using this to denote um, you know like people of black color you know So I thought, oh, it would be interesting to actually make an installation in which almost every part is in some, uh, every object is in some way connected with the um, idea of racial then kind of slur. And um, yeah, so the, the, the floor that was within the exhibition space was made of asphalt. It's not called asphalt. It's a roofing felt in English, but in Polish it's asphalt, which kind of you hear very often. Then the pictures that was on, were on the wall were also with the negatives, not the images themselves, but the negatives. There was a smell of chocolate, because chocolate was another word that uh, was used very often to kind of describe women. So there's also a lot of like thinking about sexualization and also thinking about myself as a woman uh, within like Polish space. Yeah, I don't know if you want me to continue like to expand on that or... 
<laughs> I mean, I I uh, I really like listening also to mm-hmm. people. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just like really uh, give maybe too much space. But yeah, indeed, uh, maybe it's uh, nice for me to also jump in. Uh, a little bit Uh, yeah I I was just like the first thing I was thinking uh, about is like uh, did you show the same work also uh, in the UK or was it actually like really meant for the Polish uh, audience no so that was meant for the Polish audience so this is the strange thing that all those three parts of this work which is first the text then the performative reading of just the part of it during which I was actually giving people food and then the installation they they have the same title but actually, because they come from the same text and the same moment of thinking about, you know, me growing up in Poland and how that was experienced in terms of uh, being seen as a black person, but also sometimes not being seen as a black person, because that's also another thing that is very typical in Poland. Like, obviously, on a daily basis, no one would, from the village where I'm coming, no one would even think that I'm black. But then whenever I would come outside this kind of let's say, almost protected environment into the city, I would suddenly realize I look different. And, you know, that would come back very often. And every time I was going to the city, I would hear some sort of comments regarding the way I look, regarding my hair. But I guess maybe it's not a confusing thing, but it's kind of interesting that there's like one text and then it kind of devolves into different parts. So The Sweet Taste of Otherness was done only kind of for like Polish public. But what was kind of interesting is, of course, the, the, the experience that I'm kind of putting within this like little space or installation space is something like so Polish to me, you know. <laughs> but then also for an average Polish person, it's something that is completely probably not experienced because probably an average Polish person would be white. So they, <laughs> this is not how they experience, um, you know, being in Polishness. the world. And Polishness, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So that I mean that was something that I didn't want to necessarily think of. I mean it it happens because you make work and it's out there and people see it. But I obviously couldn't occupy myself with how is it going to be perceived or how what people would think about it because again I would be standing in two places like you know me as maybe an artist who has experienced something and this is how I see this reality, but also I couldn't go on the other side of people being like, oh, I wonder what does that mean? Or, oh, this is not how I see things. Definitely. And was it also a moment for you to share those experiences with people who you knew from the past, who you never maybe had the time to like really speak about all all these things, let's say uh, your family or school friends? I wonder if they shared with you this this moment of you showing your art piece in Poland. Well, actually, I mean, the sort of terrible thing uh, was the fact that it was during pandemic. So actually, the way, the moment I uh, showed my work, I think with a private view, I think it was only open maybe for two days for general public. And then there was so much chaos in terms of like, can you visit the gallery? You cannot. There's only six people. Everyone stays apart. That I think many of my friends were even afraid to travel to Zielona Gura because the finale was in Zielona Gura to kind of um, yeah. to see it, you know, to experience it. So maybe it wasn't that, but I think maybe it was some sort of um, kind of maybe, <laughs> you know, homage to my old kind of self and maybe to that part of like my past in a way you know of growing up in Poland something that allows me to move on but I also hope like since you as you said you weren't able to like show it maybe enough to to people that somehow this podcast will also like 
guide people mm-hmm. towards your work <laughs> even more. Uh, I would love that. Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking since, so as you said, like this, this work kind of appeared uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And so I guess it was uh, in a similar time when actually in Poland, there was finally a big discussion going on about the racial slurs in the mm-hmm. language. And just like out of curiosity, I wondered like, what were your like reactions to the discussion in a way? Like, were you happy that something like this is finally also part of this public discussion in Poland or were you more like thinking like how can this only happen now and no I think I was happy because I mean it probably will make some people who go for the same experience or who look different it's going to help them so I think that's an important and I guess the girls are activists so that's what they're trying to do in my own kind of being here in London that I'm thinking yeah I mean it's quite late right but I mean, it's great someone speaks about it, but it is very late, I mean, <laughs> for me. Uh, also being here, like I've been for that. But as I said, maybe if someone has mentioned that long time ago, uh, that would also have impacted me and maybe it would help me, you know, you know, quite often to go for some, like, I don't know, hard times or feeling a little bit better. But I guess it's also different times in terms of social media and, um, you know, in terms of, like, finding pleasure in writing or finding... Um, kind of the sanctuary in writing, maybe also comes from that, that it's difficult to find your community when you're not connected on social media. And, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s, I mean, I remember totally, using yeah. internet for the first time when I was writing, when I was doing some writing, and I didn't even use it. I remember I asked someone, because, you know, internet was something that exists out there, and some people have uh, access to it. And I remember I actually paid money to someone who was doing a research for me on the internet because I was writing about voodoo at that time, and I couldn't find anything in the library. So, you know, there are a bit of different times, right? So I, I think it's great that now those social media, they also are used in order to kind of not maybe build community, but maybe give people knowledge as well. Yeah, it's such an important point, I think, that we kind of, sometimes miss because like the internet got like so out of our control and there's also a lot of like danger coming out of it that we also maybe forget like how much good it can actually do no so I think it's like a really good example yeah yeah like I also think with people maybe who are not so much connected so people who don't live you know in metropolis who live in the rural area I mean can be that someone who lives very far away from a big city feels quite isolated going or having certain experience that maybe is not adequate to the other people surrounding him. So I think then when you go on the internet, it's kind of incredible, you know, that you can find people who, who went through the same thing, who feel the same way. Of course, there's a danger uh, because it's also the kind of probably depends what experience we're talking about. But yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, in in the text uh, in the interview you had for Kayet, uh, you you said uh, something uh, really interesting, which I kind of wanted you to develop uh, here. Uh, you said that once uh, you moved uh, to the UK, it was like in a way hard for you to to relate to the experience of uh, black people living in the UK Mm -hmm. since you kind of felt more actually the experience of the Eastern European or post-Soviet history. Yeah, I would like you to kind of speak a little bit about that because I I find it so important in this Eastern European uh, conversation Mm -hmm. to also have uh, people like you speaking about those experiences and Well, I guess it comes from the fact that when you think about uh, black diasporas, 
whether it's forming like in, in Europe. I guess in Eastern Europe, most of the black diaspora is uh, consists of people who came to Poland voluntary, and there were students because during the communism, you know, um, there was a big exchange between countries who would like to be part of or kind of Eastern Bloc um, idea ideas and. Um, so, for example, Senegal was part of it. So my father came to Poland in order to study. Uh, but when you think about black diaspora in the United Kingdom, it's very often people who are disprivileged and people who were uh, brought to England on not very equal um, you know, power relationship. So there were people who would be very often used. When we talk about Windrush generation, also people who would be brought into this country because where they promised to um, to have a better life, but then actually in the end they denied any kind of living that the English people would have in a sense of like citizenship. It's like they treated in a way that you are here, you help the British Empire to be built, but then we don't need you, we're going to send you back. So I think most of the people who came in those times, they probably wouldn't be studying, as my father was in Poland. So in a way, you know, I feel coming from Poland and being black, maybe I was coming from a bit more privileged point than people who are black here in this country, you know. And I also think because the community is bigger here, and I felt in Poland I didn't have any siblings and I was living in the village. I mean, we moved from the city to the village. So I also feel like I was very isolated. So very often I think my experience of being kind of black in Poland probably compares to people who are living, who, are, who came here a long time ago, which is very strange as well. So people who came here in like 70s and they were living in rural areas. I think that's how they felt when I, you know, and that's how I felt in Poland, like our experience is very similar because we are the only ones. And then you kind of feel a little bit like, you know, you're sticking out your visibility. Whereas I think nowadays, maybe for someone who's here in UK, especially a city like London, I think um, you probably feel part of a bigger community. Yeah, so that's the kind of a difference maybe that I... You know, it's also like when you compare people who are here, like the black diaspora in UK, but also Afro-Americans, the history is completely different, you know, in terms of racism and the connection with slavery. Um, of course, it exists here. I think UK, it's probably a little bit more hidden. It's something that you wouldn't speak about because maybe it wasn't direct. It was indirectly like business involved in that. Uh, whereas in the United States, I mean, you know, there was slavery and most of the bigger businesses were built on that. And then people were disprivileged. People were, you know, find difficulties in finding housing. They were denied housing. As, do you know what I mean? So the the whole politic in, uh, politic in, in the United States was built in order to make sure that black people will not be in the same position as white people. And that's almost like engraved within the political system, which I think maybe wasn't built, maybe wasn't like that necessarily in UK. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, like, it's so, so interesting how, like, all these histories are very, very different, right? Different, and, yeah. Like, we cannot, like, understand them in one big block of yeah history yeah. of course but i guess it's almost like you know peeling an onion whereas like in you i think in the united states you see it and it's like super strong and then i think the further you go but i think that's also interesting you start peeling the onion it's almost the same ingredients but they kind of becoming 
less visible. Like I think in terms of exactly colonialism, you know, like Poland didn't have colonies, so how can be ra- how can we be racist? But we are. So how come? Right? And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, I think that that really came out in this uh, discussion in two thousand. 20 about the language, right? Like, how can Polish language have, like, racist slurs if we didn't have colonies? And we, we were actually the oppressed one, right? Exactly. But it's it's not, like, <laughs> so easy. Uh, anyway, I was uh, curious if you could actually tell a little bit uh, more about, like, so you said your dad came to study in Poland. I think... Uh, the these stories are so little talked about uh, that uh, that people from African countries were actually coming to to the Soviet uh, countries to to study and understand how the communism actually works and is that like a interesting political system to to introduce kind of <laughs> can you tell a little bit uh, uh, about that I think it's like a really really uh, yeah interesting kind of yes trace. I mean I guess maybe underneath it all it was this idea of like um you know soviet union trying to kind of gain as much power as it can in the furthest uh, parts of uh, of the world which also like for russia africa is like would be quite far away on the other hand it was kind of incredible because students from exactly senegal i think ghana as well um morocco they would come to to poland and they would study And I think the way it would work normally, it was type of a deal when you would have to go back to your country and then either build certain businesses or just kind of help your country to kind of, you know, yeah, build an infrastructure. So my father was studying uh, agriculture and therefore then he was going to United States and then he went back to, to Senegal, where he's actually now still working in in agriculture where he's um, searching for the sources of water and trying to kind of explain or maybe build an infrastructure where there's enough water for the farmers in order to grow crops. I don't know my father that well in order to, you know, that would be a conversation that we would, uh, you know, of things that we would talk about during the dinner, but I know that this is how it would look like, that students from different countries in Africa would come to Poland. And um, I'm not sure... What was the the deal in terms of staying? If you stayed, um, what would happen later on? You know, because I felt like you kind of had to go back to your country to help build. It's so fascinating how like it 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 would appear that let's say the Soviet Union was such a closed place, and you could actually like the idea is that you were just like traveling within it, but actually it was open when they wanted to. You know, kind yeah. of <laughs> no, like yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was all kind of made for 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 certain political reasons, reasons of course. Yeah. But then I guess in a way we should not get fooled that, you know, because I think when you think about uh, Western sort of uh, cultures, it, it was there for a reason as well, you know. It's, it's yeah, maybe yeah, more yeah. hidden. Maybe the 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 uh, message is not that uh, kind of uh, hardcore as the Russian propaganda, but it was there, right? So for a reason, Definitely. And for, uh, that's for money. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're very right. Like it was like let's say more yeah hidden or like kind of acceptable in a way it was working, but definitely Completely. the same reasoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
I think I would like to speak a little bit more about your your work also <laughs> and, and your art since we are here uh, for that. Uh, yeah, I'm curious maybe if you could tell a little bit uh, coming back to, to, the, to the installation, uh, The Sweet Taste of Otherness, how you combine like objects and text and the, the senses. I think I, I read perhaps in the text or in some kind of description of the exhibition that people like had a lot kind of to, to process when they entered. So there was a lot of senses uh, moved by, by your work. Can you tell a little bit how you understand the senses uh, in relation to how people can kind of acquire knowledge? So, I mean, my idea was because I wanted to talk about a certain... Well, it's not like I wanted to talk about certain experience, but I was trying to build... I guess maybe going back to certain experience through the senses. I mean, the senses were really necessary in order to kind of, you know, if that's only an image, if it's only a photograph, then you move on and you look into another photograph. But I think the idea of installation is you enter the space and it's really kind of difficult to get rid of it. So once you're in there, you might leave, but you already entered. So you carry it with you and there will be a light or something that you kind of, it keeps coming back to you, right? Whereas I think with pictures of when there's something on the wall, people would very often just pass it by. I mean, of course, it's, it's a dis disputable, yes, an image can also hang on to you. But I think with installation, you really like enter the space. So it was this idea of immersing yourself into something When you entered the um, the installation, there was the light in the whole space was also violet, ultraviolet light, because there were three plants that are placed in there. So even the light was like an artificial sun, you know, this idea of like sun and maybe also referring again to skin color, that is something brown, something tanned, melanin, right? And the plants that were in the exhibition space that you could see, I mean, two of them were clear reference to the um, blackness again, which was black bamboo. And I mean, bamboos is something that was kind of used so often in order to um, kind of call black people on the street whenever you pass by. So I really wanted to have this black bamboo, but also another one was black magic. And I think black magic also in, in that moment to me was this idea of like um, thinking a black, about black female. Because I think very often there's this sense of like, you know, black women being over-sexualized, very erotic and something you don't quite really know what it is, but it's almost based on like animal-like instinct, you know, this type of like blackness within femininity. And then another plant, which kind of didn't have that much reference, but it was a plant that I brought from Senegal from my father. So something that keeps me rooted. And then there was this, you know, smell of chocolate, but it was almost like too sweet. So some people felt, felt a little bit like uh, nauseous about it as well. And I think I just wanted it to be, um, I think there's a word, permit. So this kind of thing that kind of permits, it's it's a nice space, you know, it looks, the colors are kind of inviting, but then there's something that you kind of get sick of maybe for a little bit, when you stay there a little bit too long. It conveys this experience of like, feeling different and maybe being black in Poland in terms of it's not you cannot run away from that you know even if it's okay for some time it will always come back and it will always kind of uh, resurface at certain point and there's I don't know if you read this text that I wrote for the um, Objek magazine so there's this moment you know when I'm going on the train with my peers from primary school and they suddenly tell me oh look Maya a Negro And this is where it kind of like, you know, it always slaps you back in the face. You think you're part of everyone else, but then suddenly they tell you, look, there's a black person over there, as if they, they wouldn't understand that I am that black person or I come from that black person. 
I think within the exhibition space, there is this kind of push and pull between feeling comfortable, but also feeling a certain discomfort, maybe. And maybe almost feeling a little bit embarrassed. You know, in the video, there's me and the actress, Sylvia Achu. So I was kind of trying to find like this alter ego, like someone who looks similar like me. I mean, she's much younger. But I thought it's also like kind of in a way laughing because we were eating chocolate. So you can see me in a slow action, like eating chocolate and then her as well. And then we are both like holding a, a bar of chocolate uh, in our mouth, uh, almost like two statues. But I thought it's like almost like pornography, you know, like, yeah, you want to see the chocolate. There you go. Like a double chocolate for you, you know. Yeah. So I guess it wasn't so much about confronting People want something, but you give them that, but you give them a little bit more, and then it almost makes them feel uncomfortable that they maybe even they looked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you get, like, uh, the reactions you kind of imagined you will get? Did it spark conversation? Did you have, like, good kind of material to, to speak about with the audience? What I think were I didn't the reactions? have that much chance of speaking with an audience because of pandemic, really. Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, there was a symposium after... I mean, to be honest, I don't know, I'm not quite sure how people kind of, because, uh, you know, with people with whom you speak, they kind of know more or less. But I, I, I mean, I, I saw only few people who I know they were not kind of maybe so much connected within the art world and they really liked it. I mean, they found it like fascinating, you know, they really liked it. <laughs> like, yeah, really yeah, yeah. Space. So that's kind of interesting. I'm not sure if they found any negative thing coming out of it, really. Well, I, I, you said like you don't, uh, you don't, you're not so good uh, about talking about your work, but I think you're very good. <laughs> <laughs> I really like imagined like the space, you know, and I also felt like all this uh, by you talking about it. So I think uh, that certainly works well. <laughs> yeah, I should also mention because I, I forgot to tell you that the plants themselves, they are actually in the pots that I made, which is like a ceramic work, which is also part of the body, like a female body, but certain parts are like just like too much. So you can see, for example, there is a, a, a face that is kind of ripped up of the, on the top because there's a plant in there, but you can see like massive lips. Then there is a flower pot that looks like it's got too many breasts, you know. It's got like five or four breasts that are kind of coming out and they're almost like melting like liquid. And there's also a torso, but um, yeah, it's all kind of squashed and also like almost falling down, like like melting. Again, talking about this idea of femininity, which makes me also think about when I went once to a drawing class that was in Poland and everyone was supposed to draw... Uh, <laughs> everyone was supposed to choose one subject like you know one of your peers from the class and I think out of 12 students like 10 decided to draw me because <laughs> it was like a very close drawing but then uh, they, they, they kind of gave me this pile of drawings and it was so funny because most of them would have like big lips and a nose you know and a curly hair so I think I don't know this idea of like big lips is coming to that you know as well like kind of um how I'm, I'm being seen in a way. And this moment of realization, exactly, you know, that people say, I remember I went back looking in the mirror. It's like, is that really me? Like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Mm. <laughs> I wonder, since you work a lot with like objects, you create objects, but I think you also like are interested in like collecting, as you said, the plants and, mm -hmm. and so on. Like, uh, I would be curious to hear a little bit about uh, your opinion on like the, the current discussion which is going on about like the artifacts which are in the European museums, um, kind of objects which got stolen uh, from people by the colonizers and now are kind of portrayed as the European goods uh 
good exactly like uh, how do you yeah what's what's your kind of position take on that more not position but your thoughts on that like i think there's a big conversation about the colonizing the whole museum and i think definitely there should be always a note saying where does the you know object come from and how did it come into the possession of museum and i also know that in france i think there is this quite a big movement i can remember now the name of an activist who's in charge of that who's talking about getting like taking all this war all works back to africa And I think in a way, yeah, why not? I mean, museums are quite of strange, paradoxical places when you think about it, because I'm thinking about the time when I went to France to do the residency in Cité des Arts. And I really wanted to find some sort of connection to, to Senegalese objects. And I thought I knew there is one object in Musée Coebranli which had, we used to be an ethnographical museum. And I mean, you go in there and it's like incredible, you know, all these goods. But it's kind of strange because in a way for someone who's maybe not connected within the family to Africa, it kind of allowed me to see certain objects that I wouldn't be able to see. But then on the other hand, you also cannot forget how they found themselves in there. So they're, I guess, spaces of paradox in that sense, because they give you knowledge. And maybe for certain people who are not connected with their cultural heritage for different reasons, maybe they are, they could be a certain like portals of being able to, you know, connect. But educational, I guess, also, right? Yeah. But then on the other hand, the part of education would be how did they find their place over there, right? So maybe even in terms of, you know, Uh, financial payment for those objects, giving something, you know, maybe an exchange. Mm. Maybe that would be a kind yeah, of a good deal. Not the literal kind of objects to go back, but something like as a. Yeah, I think that would be probably way more re useful, no? Like yeah. than just taking some objects which probably were anyway making the white people happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In, But even yeah, the museums, and like when I went to Senegal, the Museum um, of Art, I mean, it seems such a dead space, you know, because I feel like art and culture is happening on the streets. It, it seems completely not to belong to the museum space. So I remember when I went there, probably it's a kind of exactly educational space for children to come and see, probably for like Western visitors and tourists. But I don't think that my father would go in there to see something interesting, you know, he would probably go somewhere else to to experience art. That would be within the context of music, as I said, or like a, you know, and street. So it's kind of maybe also in a way artificial in that context. Mm. Uh, since you, you were talking about your visit uh, to Senegal, I, I had to remember also another part of, uh, of the text where you were speaking about the concept of in-betweenness and somehow like the feeling of being in-between comes back in, in my podcast quite a lot. And I think everyone has it in a different form and shape. Yeah, you, you have a dual identity being Polish and Senegalese, but also now you live for so many years uh, in the UK and London. I'm curious if being in one place you feel more something than in the other. Let's say if you're in Poland, you feel more from London or more from Senegal. And in Senegal, if you feel more Polish. Well, I guess it's kind of hard to tell whether this sense of in-between is a natural disposition of, a, of my character. Uh, 
but I do think it has a lot to do with this idea of exactly being of dual origin, being Polish Senegalese. And I guess maybe this idea is of never feeling at home, you know? I mean, this it's so interesting because, I mean, it's kind of a strange concept, mixed racedness, being, being mixed raced. Um, it's kind of a strange concept when you think about race. Well, kind of race is something completely that doesn't exist as a, as a concept. Then mixed race is also like even a bigger concept, you know, like uh, abstract, abstract concept within that thing. But I am reading, I mean, I was reading quite a lot about mixed racedness in general. There are like a lot of actually people who are writing about phenomenology and the idea of phenomenological experience. Phenomenology as a philosophy, how can that be used in order to tell us certain things about race in general and being and in sense of being in the world. And people like, I think, Naomi Zak or there's also Tina Fernandez-Botts. There's quite a few philosophers who write about it. And I guess there is this sense of like maybe being mixed race, you always, you're like a perpetual stranger. Because, you know, I almost feel, feel like a bit of a chameleon uh, someone who always looks wherever they go as they are from somewhere else. Like I remember when I was traveling to Mauritania and I was wearing like the veil and I would walk on the streets. No one would notice me because I looked like, you know, women from there. When I go to Senegal, people would say I'm from somewhere else. But then when I say my surname, they say, oh, yeah, you one of us. But then, of course, when I go out, I'm a tourist and they would tell me, you know, sell me things as kind of tourists and and also, like, I guess in Poland, until I speak, I'm also perceived as someone who came from other country to visit. And I guess in UK, whenever people ask me, where are you from? And I say Poland, they always say, oh, Holland. And then you're like, no, no, Holland, Poland. And then it's kind of like, you know what I mean? And then, but the funny question as well that they ask me was constantly, but where are you originally from? Because Poland is such an impossible place for me to come from that originally I have to be from somewhere else. And this kind of question of originally, I don't kind of understand how to, I don't understand what it means, you know, originally. Um, so mm -hmm. well, most of the times I'm French or Portuguese, French or Brazilian, or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's nice you can kind of choose but yeah, it's very funny kind of, what you know then you kind of confabulate like you create stories right because why not I mean it's also why fun not, right? yeah having different names and coming from different places so yeah that could be a fun of it yeah just in the sense of thinking about like being in between and feeling like you're not from there, like it's not your home. Because that's also some, like, um, there's a writer, and she's also an artist, Grada Quilomba, who writes, uh, she wrote this uh, book called Plantation Stories, in which she talks a lot about experience of female, black females who live in Germany. And there's a lot about this idea when you tell people that you're from here, that they always try to say you're not from here, but where you're from somewhere else. And they always expect this, uh, you know, exotic uh, story behind story. Uh, story behind it behind this yeah 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 but I, yeah I guess like there's also quite a uh, this in between space can be also quite an empowering space as, as you said that you can create your own uh, way of being well, yeah. and your own identity <laughs> you know outside of these borders and nations and political uh, kind of structures we know mm -hmm. uh, currently today yeah mm -hmm. It's almost like trying to think, I don't know if you've heard about this notion or like archetype of like tragic mulatto. 
that was used. So it's an it's an Afro American type of a uh, archetype within the um, could be literature or those like cultural, uh, where you talk about people who are mixed race and they dissect tragic character because in in their um, situation they would look black white. So they would pass and would be able to consider as a white person, but then this story will be revealed and they become this tragic, you know, mulatto or mulatta. So it's almost uh, like a strange project of how to reverse it and make it your own, you know, where you're kind of, you're not belonging to neither of the places, but then you're trying to kind of make an empowering space within that. It's kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Strange. <laughs> Maya, I would like to ask you mm-hmm. uh, what's kind of in for you for the future. I know you're like working very hard uh, to kind of sustain your artist living in London. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm curious what's what's uh, what are you thinking on for for the future uh, projects and uh, yeah, any like mm-hmm. artistic ideas for the coming months, <laughs> years. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think uh, there's quite a few things happening. Like I think trying to think about this idea of performance, uh, but I don't think I'm strong enough myself in terms of uh, nerves that I could perform for myself, but definitely thinking about someone who's my alter ego who could do it for me, you know, so that I can be behind that person or hide myself behind that person. Um I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, this idea of like exactly not belonging and always seeing yourself as someone else, as an other. That kind of took me, like I was researching that and that took me to this uh, idea of thinking about hallucinations. I don't know if you ever heard about this type of hallucination that talks about seeing yourself as the other. It's something that happens very often, I mean, very often, quite often to people who suffer with epilepsy or schizophrenia, but also it's a experience that was described by, by quite few write, I mean, writers and actually biologists as well. When you're standing somewhere and then suddenly you see a different person and actually you realize this is you. So I was thinking how to incorporate this idea of hallucination and thinking about not belonging or being seen as someone else, you know. Uh, within the context, I guess, of, uh, well, maybe race or maybe mixed racedness. And also working with ceramics. Like, I really want to kind of go deeper into that. Because, I mean, I did the, the, the um, work for uh, Biennale in Zilonagura, but I would like to work more with ceramics as well. I, I somewhere, somewhere I also found an information that you were, uh, or like... Uh, you had the idea or like you started already working on an archive like to collect stories of uh, African Polish uh, diaspora yeah I was thinking about it in terms of like bodily experience um, because you know when you think about it it is in a way at, uh, speaking about trauma as well of certain you know like if, if there's such a gathering of um, not maybe mistreat like those kind of microaggressions within a certain amount of time, I think it becomes quite a lot. And it you can almost talk about the sense of trauma that you kind of experience in terms of like when people talk about you, the way you feel about it, because you know that people are talking about you because you look different. Um, maybe you feel like people are looking at you when you're at the center space because you're, you know, kind of high visibility uh, that is uh, kind of um, accompanying your skin color. Um, 
so I wanted to talk about that in terms of like exactly like bodily experience how do you feel that you know where do you have that where does this feeling come from that you are being like looked at or um yeah so I just wanted I guess maybe to set us interviews with different people and just trying to ask them about that like where do they feel that and then maybe try to think about first building an archive but then also maybe thinking more about performative performing it in a space but that would be quite a long-term project I think for the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah well uh, curious uh, how it's gonna develop then <laughs> yeah for the for the very ending i think uh, we spoke now quite quite some time i would like to uh, finalize uh, by speaking about food mm-hmm. uh, since yeah that's kind of like a tradition in the podcast and i think it's even more interesting uh for you since you also actually talk, uh, w- worked with food and with taste and feeding people and kind of understanding what they eat and what connotations mm-hmm. food might bring and how it can kind of connect also people and disconnect perhaps uh yeah if you would like to share some of your favorite food from your yeah, home which is quite a complicated term I guess as we <laughs> just talked about but yeah some food which makes you feel good and which you like coming back to well I guess in terms of Polish food I would definitely because I was thinking about you know I don't eat meat so my um my choice is limited and uh, I was thinking maybe the uh, beetroot soup is something that is kind of connected with home Something that I wouldn't do very often because I don't know actually why, but yeah, it's almost like the special occasion or just something that reminds me of home. That's and the thing with the beetroot soup. It's also like, it's kind of like a super simple soup, but I feel in Poland to we we eat it so rarely that it's like very special now. And I think for often for people, it's like a special taste, which, yeah, yeah. for me, for example, it connects with Christmas, but yeah, for like, because my family (laughs) celebrates Christmas, I don't know with you, but yeah, it's like, it's a Mm -hmm. special taste. I also really, really like it. Although it's quite messy to eat. (laughs) Messy to eat, but when you think about it, beetroot is a good, um, you know, dye. So um, for artists, I guess it's, um, I'm using it like for drawing. So useful, useful vegetable. Useful <laughs> vegetable in that way, yeah. Yeah, but then I was also thinking maybe of Senegalese food because the first thing that I thought about when you asked me like that there would be like maybe a mentioning of a um, favorite food, then I thought Chebujen, which is a Senegalese fish. So you serve it normally with the rice and vegetables and fish and very spicy peppers, which are like scotch bonnets. So I really like that. And Do I'm you make that it. also? Uh, I don't make it. This is a type of food that is just, you know, if someone would tell me or someone is saying that they're from Senegal, I would tell, ask them like, are you making chebujen or like, do you know where to make it? Cause I don't know how to make it myself. I also maybe even don't want to know, you know, because I want it to be kind of special. But when I went to Senegal, and my father was asking me, like, what would you what you would like to eat? I was eating it every day. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I was eating it every day. And then after, I think, two weeks, he was like, what would you like to eat? And I was like, Chebujen. And he was like, uh, you know, we can eat something else. Because I think he had to eat it with me, you know. <laughs> and the whole family had to eat it. So I think they had enough. Um, I love it. I love it. It's just the rice. The way rice is done in Senegal is just amazing. They often do also use broken rice, which 
is a little bit of a different texture. So, all right, yeah, amazing. <laughs> Nice. Thanks so much for sharing. And uh, thanks for the conversation. I think we touched uh, upon a lot of important points. And yeah, definitely, please send me all the names of writers you mentioned. Obviously, like it's a bit hard for me to, to find the names because I'm also quite bad with like spelling and stuff. Yeah, it's like it's and I will definitely include them all. And yeah, for sure, something more to kind of develop. I will also probably mm -hmm. read... Uh, some of those texts I think it's uh, it's interesting and important to understand a bit this complicated world we live in <laughs> thank you so much Maya for the conversation thank you <laughs> Here just a little additional note uh, that Maya shared with me after we stopped uh, the official recording that her work, uh, the one we spoke uh, about today, but also perhaps some new work will be soon part of uh, the curatorial platform uh, eruptive Cora or Chora, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, a curatorial platform, online platform, which through performative events and radio shows uh, proposes the body as a way of knowing. And apart from that, Maya will most probably be part of a group, uh, exhibition group show at the Museum Stuki in Łódź which I also spoke to some time ago about one of their exhibitions. So that's uh, very exciting. And uh, of course, all the links I will include in the show notes. And this was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this episode. I will see you next time with another great artist and speaker. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can support this podcast via Patreon on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations or alternatively, you can also help me develop this platform by making a one-time donation, following my Instagram account or leaving a comment on one of the podcast players. Take good care. Until next time.